Oh, hi. I'm your host, Kyle Brownrigg, and welcome to Best Actress, discussing Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress Oscar wins, who we feel should have won, and why. The nominees for Best Performance by an Actress in a Leading Role are Brenda Blethyn in Secrets and Lies, Diane Keaton in Marvin's Room, Frances McDormand in Fargo, Kristen Scott Thomas in The English Patient, Emily Watson in Breaking the Waves. The Oscar goes to... The Oscar goes to Frances McDormand in Fargo! Hello and welcome to another episode of Best Actress. I'm Kyle Browning, your host, and today we're going to be talking about the 1997 ceremony win year Best Actress for Frances McDormand. This was her first Oscar of three for the movie Fargo. Uh, I'm so excited to be joined today by my guest. Um, she is the host of the podcast Buckets and Tea, which is an NBA podcast, as well as The Pickup, which is a WNBA podcast that is also co-hosted by Freddie Rivas. Uh, she is a writer for an upcoming show in January 2022 on CBC called Son of a Critch. She is a writer on Beaverton, and she is a writer on 22 Minutes. So many credits to name. I don't even know if I have enough time. It's Catherine Niker. Hi, Catherine. Hi, hi. How are you? I'm doing really, really good. And I'm going to tell you why. Because I stopped drinking for two weeks. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Not like permanently. Just because like I wanted to get my body back and I wanted to get back into shape. And I needed to like stop having so much depressing anxiety from alcohol. So yeah. I just was like, I'm going to take a break. Wow. I love that. <laughs> my, yeah. My mood is like shockingly improved. I fully had like a salad the other day. Like I just made myself a really nice salad. I like cut up like a little bit of fruit in there, had some avocado, had some yeah. cucumber from my mother's garden, had yeah. and then had it with some tuna. Ooh. And I was like, this is the best meal of my life. Like why? Yeah. Like I eat a horrible diet if this salad feels like yeah that level nourishing to me so right. i hear you sometimes you just gotta detox and do what's right and that's so funny because it's not even like big dramatic steps it's literally just like eating a vegetable or going for a run and you're just like whoa <laughs> yeah endorphins um, are real <laughs> it's so crazy um <laughs> I also there's this meme that I love where it's like Michelle Obama and it's like I eat one salad and then me to myself and it's like hey queen girl you have done it again yeah. I just love it like <laughs> love it so um true. okay so this year for 1997 for the ceremony year best picture went to The English Patient I have so many thoughts on this movie we will mm. get into that best director went to Anthony uh, Mingala for The English Patient best actor went to Jeffrey Rush for the movie Shine best supporting actor went to Cuba Gooding Jr. for Jerry Maguire um, that movie or that win actually is regarded as the biggest WTF moment uh, for the male actors um, because I know that was Marissa Tomei when she won for My Cousin Vinny everybody was like WTF but for Cuba for Cuba Cuba Gooding Jr. Uh, for Jerry Maguire, they said too soon, too soon. And actually, if you watch his career, like maybe. And then Best Supporting Actress went to Juliette Binoche for The English Patient. 
So um, I have to ask, because I always like to ask my guests, like, why they selected the year, if there was any particular reason. Like, was there a reason why you selected this year for Frances McDormand? Um, so I selected this year because... I watched the movie Fargo like years ago and absolutely loved it and thought Mm -hmm. that would be a good movie to revisit, but also had not seen any of the other films. And it was something that like I wanted to revisit a year that was like within my lifetime that I could have like vague memories of because, you know, when you watch things now, you watch it from like a different lens right so I wanted Mm -hmm. to pick a year where I'm like I could see it from today's lens but I could also see it from the lens of the year it came out with to the best of my ability and that is definitely a conversation that we have a lot on this podcast Mm. where sometimes I will be a little bit more harsh with my criticism of a movie in terms of either like diversity or the way that the narrative is um, directed toward either the 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 woman in the story or mm-hmm. like it's like is she just an object of desire is she just a prop for the guys is she the yeah. you know damsel in distress or is she actually a woman that has her own independent thoughts and you know her every single word that comes out of her mouth has something to do with is it about a guy is it about saving the guys or dating a guy you know so um I think that you don't even really have to go that far back to see, um, you know, like kind of like crappy roles for women. I mean, the episode that I did before with um, uh, with, uh, oh, my gosh, Hillary Swank winning for Boys Don't Cry uh-huh. and um, the nominees that year. So Hillary Swank by far was the winner. Like it's it was just a mm-hmm. Fritz Bernays. Like it was no question. And then all of the other nominees, it was just awful like the you're like thinking like and this was like 1999 2000 you know and you're like were the roles just not there for women and this isn't even that long ago it was like 20 years ago yeah it's crazy you know but you're absolutely right hillary swank was just phenomenal yeah totally totally deserved that oscar although i am glad that we're you know with the lgbtq movies we're moving away from the end it always ending in like a hate crime or aids (laughs) anyway so also that yeah yeah also that um (laughs) But, you know, I got to say, I really, really enjoyed the movies this year. And it was just so refreshing from the last year. And um, let's just jump right in. So let's talk about um, Diane Keaton in Marvin's Room. So if you have listened to this podcast before, anybody listening, you know that I'm not a big fan of Diane Keaton. Um, She's a very lovely person. I ran into her one time at Starbucks and she was very polite and taking pictures with everybody. And I like I like some of her movies. I just there's something about her that bugs me. But I get. I get it. I is just it the I'm hats? not a fan. Is it the hats? I don't know. I just <laughs> I I think it's because my mom didn't care for her, so she like forced her opinion onto me that it's like pro. I don't know. There's oh, just something so about funny. her that bugs me. <laughs> I have the opposite. I remember my dad saying that he didn't like Julia Roberts, and I was like, "Why?" Oh and then he was like, "There's something about her smile or her mouth. Like her mouth's just too big or something." And I was like, <laughs> "Screw you, Dad! I'm gonna love Julia." Roberts. just totally rebelled against his opinions i'm with you i love love julia roberts like for sure right um yeah anyway that's that's a complete (laughs) aside to how we react to our parents opinions 100 percent um okay so marvin's rooms is directed by jerry zax he actually did a lot of tv directing he he directed episodes of frasier everybody loves raymond two and a half men gross 
And <laughs> what I love about the movie Marvin's Room is, holy shit, it's so star-studded. You have Leonardo DiCaprio, Meryl Streep, Robert De Niro, Diane Keaton, um, and uh, Gwen Verdon, who was the Ruth, the aunt, that like crazy woman that was obsessed with her soap operas. Mm. I honestly thought she should have been nominated for a supporting role for this movie because I mm. loved her as well. Um, but for anybody that hasn't seen the movie Marvin's Room, basically it's like two estranged sisters, Diane Keaton and Meryl Streep, their sisters, and they uh, Diane Keaton stayed behind in Florida, gross, to stay take care of her terminally ill father or its very sick father or... Um, just, you know, because did, they didn't want to send him off to a facility or like a hospital. So Diane Keaton sacrificed her life to take care of him. His name is Marvin. And then Meryl Streep moved to Ohio to have a family. And she has these kids that, well, mostly Leonardo DiCaprio that's out of control, who sets the house on fire. He's going in and out of mental health facilities. And he doesn't actually know the truth of his father being super abusive. And Meryl Streep is a very harsh mother and um, borderline unlikable, but she does redeem herself near the end. And then you find out that Diane Keaton is dying and that, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio or Meryl Streep could be a potential donor because she has leukemia and she needs a bone marrow transplant. And um, it's, you know, wackiness ensues when they all get together. What, <laughs> what did you think about this movie? Um, I think my favorite parts of this movie were the family dynamic. Um, I just thought this family dynamic was very um, unique and original uh, for mm -hmm. film. And I love the dynamic of the two sisters of Diane Keaton and Meryl Streep. Like I, I mm -hmm. really, you know, they're, they're very opposite. They have not seen eye to eye for the majority of their adult lives. You know, they mm -hmm. come together because it's like, well, I'm going to have to, I'm going to try and save my sister's life, even though we haven't spoken in, 20 years and I just I really liked the way they played off of each other I did feel that Meryl Streep's character I really liked her character I felt you know she was a she's portrayed as a as a neglectful mom and mm -hmm. there's a bit of slut shaming that happens with her character yeah. too like oh like you were sexually promiscuous you got pregnant blah 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 but I really felt her neglect was more due to being overwhelmed than her being like a bad mom mm -hmm. you know what i mean right. but, but then yeah. but then it just manifests that way and yeah i loved the family dynamic between them all i did feel with diane keaton's character she's very um angelic in this movie yes very angelic and i felt um almost too much so Agreed. I, I, yeah. I wished there was more variation in her character, but she is just this angel, this complete angel from uh, beginning to end. I think she does a good job being this angelic figure, but I kind of wish her character had a bit more nuance to it. I agree with you. I do think that there was a bit of a martyrdom to her. There, yeah. like she, she, I do agree because um, I don't really know if I bought the chemistry between Meryl Streep and Diane Keaton as sisters if anything mm. it almost felt like because the way that you're describing I'm so glad that you said this about her coming off as angelic it almost seemed like Diane Keaton was like playing more her mom than her right. sister and that was kind of the vibe that I was getting from it because it really did seem like um, I remember I had a guest on um, a while ago and he said that Meryl Streep always knows what movie that she's in. And it's so true because I feel like Meryl Streep was really playing that sister that, you know, is 
maybe not embarrassed, but a little bit like, you know, I, I'm, I realize that, you know, that I made the choice to, to live my life independently and not have to be burdened with, you know, dealing with my dying father or my sick father. And you can feel that she feels kind of a bit bad about that. And she's a bit insecure about that, where I kind of just feel like Diane Keaton is kind of just coming in and acting like very matronly, very motherly, Mm -hmm. very, yeah, like you're saying, very angelic. Um, I think that uh, the way that she was with Leonardo DiCaprio was like, some of the better moments of the movie, because obviously he's a, a kid that's sort of out of control and um, yeah. clearly craving some sort of a certain amount of love and discipline. But I do have to say that when I was growing up, I had a, a friend, his name was also Kyle, who was basically like Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio's character. You know, he actually got kicked out of school. He was arrested a bunch. He like was a bit of a pyromaniac. He was very violent. He had drug and alcohol issues. And this was like, early high school and his mother you know smoked like a chimney she like was working all the time single parent she was very harsh she was very like impatient she didn't really it's almost like she just kind of gave up oftentimes on Kyle because she would just kind of be like oh you know what now and Mm -hmm. so when I was watching the dynamic between Meryl Streep and Leo this felt very real to me because I grew up with you know a friend of mine whose family dynamic was kind of like that so you know, I, I really enjoyed that. And then when Diane Keaton sort of came in and she, like you were saying, is this sort of angelic presence to Leonardo DiCaprio, I kind of liked seeing Leo's character like develop and still being quite resistant toward her, toward Diane Keaton, but also still um, <laughs> like uh, kind of growing a little bit and being less of an asshole. Yeah, I mean, I I think that's really well said. Like, I, it's almost like they had they they told Diane Keaton, it's like, yes, you're still alive, but pretend you're not. Right. You know what I mean? Because like the way yeah. she <laughs> interacts with Leo, it's almost like she's like a guardian angel. In mm-hmm. a way, and like she's there to help this family and serve this family in in a unique way i don't know but i i agree i agree meryl streep definitely knows the movie she's in oh yeah and and leo is you know leo's brilliant in this movie like he he didn't he wasn't nominated was he or was he nominated? no no he wasn't no but he, he was like freshly nominated uh, like not that long for ago Gilbert when this Gray, movie right exactly yeah. so i think that maybe they were trying to go for that again um and also to like to diane keaton like being so overly nice that also might be due to the fact that she was on the hunt to harvest a young boy's bone marrow um <laughs> just, you know just like fresh That's like true, just... she needs him to go through with this i guess it's like a clinical trial or something to see if he's like a, a donor match yeah not so a clinical trial but behavior. just a, yeah so yeah, yeah. she is kind of sucking up to him in a way that's funny but they don't play it like that <laughs> but they could have i think no. that would have been more interesting yeah, I think you're right as well. Like a little, I, like as I'm a very cynical person. So like if I was Leo, that's how I would see it too. And I think that that could have been, if that was actually her intention, that would actually be kind of cool, like more interesting. Yeah. Um, I did think it was really, um, I think where her acting really came in is when she's explaining how the love of her life, the carny like drowned and then she takes off her wig and you see these really vulnerable moments between her and Meryl. And I think that that was probably like the most beautiful acting in the movie from Diane Keaton specifically, because I do think that a lot of her character was 
um, a lot of the same sort of energy throughout the entire movie. But when she really comes to terms with her situation and admitting that she knows, like, for example, when she finds out that she can't get a donor Mm. and then she knocks all the pills on the ground, like, you know, I cried because it's Mm. like, you know, that she at that moment has to accept that um, unless some stranger is going to give her this, this, um, you know, bone marrow, what do you call that? Like a, a donation. (laughs) I don't know what you call that, but uh, yeah. Or, or whatever you call that, but, you know, it's it, you feel her pain and you feel really bad for her. And the ending, you know, I was definitely, definitely in tears. The only thing that I will say that made me fucking laugh was whenever Meryl Streep gave the fucking wig the like '90s oh, makeover God. haircut, this and she looked like <laughs> she looked like David hideous. Bowie coming out of the it labyrinth. It's <laughs> like what this is happening. Hideous. This whole, okay, so the whole movie, like, Meryl Streep is going on, like, she's a hairdresser, she can Mm -hmm. make you look beautiful, this, that, and the other, and she makes her look so hideous, like, oh (laughs) my god, it's like the worst makeover, it's like a prank, it's like a revenge prank, it's so bad, and then here you are, her in this hideous wig, like you said, having the most vulnerable moments (laughs) of the whole film. And I don't know why, like, it just like, okay, so obviously this is a drama, but when you do a comedy and you have a death in a comedy, you usually try to find a very funny or obscure way for someone to die. So it's still Mm -hmm. funny. So like, Mm -hmm. you know, example is Seinfeld, like when uh, Georgia's fiance, Susan, like licks the envelopes, right? Like she dies from poisoning, from licking too many wedding invitation envelopes or something like that. There's (laughs) something about a carny drowning that out of context could be hilarious. Right. (laughs) (laughs) If it isn't in this exact context, you're like, that is just bizarre. Like, why are what? Anyway, there's just something about that that's so funny to me or could have been unintentionally hilarious, especially in this hideous wig. But kudos to Diane Keaton because she does pull it off. And I don't find myself veering off and laughing. It was only in hindsight Mm. afterwards that I was like, wait, that was kind of weird. I love that's very true. And I, I fully agree with that. Um, I uh, a couple couple things about this movie. So Scott, Miss Scott McPherson, who uh, wrote this, he actually died from AIDS shortly after completing the adaptation of the stage play. Oh, wow. It was his only film screenplay. Uh, Sigourney Weaver, Angelica Houston, Kathleen Turner were all considered for the role of Bessie, which is um, Diane keaton's character also uh just putting this one out there but uh there was another character emily watson in breaking waves was also named bess so it's really weird that there were two characters named bess uh oh and uh, jessica lang also turned down the role um of of bessie which is diane keaton's character um okay do you have anything else that you would like to add about this movie before we move on no just out of all the names you mentioned i really feel like diane was the best one for it I think so too. I mean, I, she won an Oscar for the movie Annie Hall and I literally cannot stand that movie. And well, of all the Woody Allen movies, it's probably the one that I can stand the most, but I didn't enjoy that movie. I didn't understand why she won that Oscar, but I would say that I preferred, uh, I much preferred um, Diane Keaton in this movie compared to Annie Hall. And I really, really liked Diane Keaton in this movie. Yeah, I think it's just like, I tried to watch Annie Hall like 
maybe 10 years ago or something. Mm-hmm. I couldn't get into it, but I also feel like it's it's generational. Like we just know too much about Woody Allen to enjoy a Woody Allen movie. You know what I mean? Like it's just it's yeah. just too much. It's just it's just too I'm, I'm jumping through too many hoops to try and 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 do that and it's just it's yeah. Yeah. No, 100%. I know it's 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 this that like it's like that thing that's like lurking in the shadows that you notice like in every scene and you're like what is that? You're like oh yeah, he like fucked kids. Um <laughs> <laughs> fucked up. Yeah. Um okay, so let us talk about uh Brenda Blethen in Secrets and Lies. So mm-hmm. Oh boy. Okay. First of all, for anybody who has not seen Secrets and Lies, so basically what it is, is it's this movie where um, uh, you don't really understand why all the characters are connected until you find out the secrets and lies, and then everything is connected. And the big secret and lie is that Brenda Blethyn, when she was 16 years old, had a kid that she gave up for adoption but then later in life she had another kid and she kept that kid but then the kid that was given given up for adoption and that wasn't really clear why i'm assuming it had something to do with some sort of a sexual assault but again it was never explained the child that was given up for adoption was black and so the whole thing is gasp it's a white woman having a black baby and how shocking that is for marianne jean baptiste who is the um daughter that I also got nominated for a supporting Oscar for this movie. And um, I've never seen this movie before. I have to say, I actually really enjoyed the movie, but holy shit, it could have been an hour shorter. Mm-hmm. Just the majority of the, so the majority of the movie was improvised and it was actually nominated for writing. But the thing is, is that technically uh, most of it was improvised and, the way that they did this movie was whenever, um, you know, uh, Marianne Jean-Baptiste, the daughter, seeks out because her own adoptive mother died. So she wants to seek out her birth mother. And when she calls Brenda Blethyn and um, <laughs> every five seconds, she's like, who are you, sweetheart? Like every five <laughs> seconds. Sweetheart, I'm so sorry, sweetheart. Like every five seconds, which was a little annoying, but it was cute at the same time. But um, and then, you know, she goes to meet her at the train station where they're supposed to meet. And then Brenda Blethyn, the actress, actually didn't know that Marianne Jean-Baptiste was going to be the daughter. So she had no idea that she was actually um, going to be a black woman. So that reaction was genuine. That she was like, she's like, you have the wrong person, sweetheart. Like that was completely genuine. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, okay, what did you what did you think about this movie? Okay, I have really strong opinions about this movie. Okay. And okay. I really dislike this movie. Okay. <laughs> but, and, and I'll say why. First of all, I did not know that this movie was heavily improvised. So that actually mm-hmm. put certain things into context for me. Okay, here's, okay. here's why I don't like this movie. Because okay. uh, Brenda, is it Brenda Blethyn? Is that how you say her name? I think so. Yeah, okay. I'm really bad at pronouncing Sorry names. I've been getting messages. But anyway, <laughs> she is the star of this movie, and mm. she shouldn't be because mm. Marianne Jean Baptiste is, to me, the real protagonist of this movie. She is the one right. who has a journey. She, her adopted mother, the one who raised her, passes away and she decides Mm -hmm. to seek out 
her biological mother. It's her story. It's her journey. And it's told from the point of view of this woman who gave her up. And I'm like, it's just so mm-hmm. weird to me that this story is being told from her lens. Because mm-hmm. to me, it's like Brenda's character, she just like, as you did a, a very accurate impression of her crying, <laughs> she breaks down and cries for reasons I'm not entirely sure of before she even meets the daughter she gave up it's like she is at a hundred crying the entire movie it's like she's having a breakdown because she's just like kind of like generally sad as we all do okay but Mm -hmm. it is the exact same reaction to her finding out that this child that she gave up is black because she says she didn't even look at the child so she didn't know and is coming back into her life or wants to get to know her on some level. I'm like, why is that the exact same emotion and reaction and, and everything? And I just found that kind of infuriating because I was like, this is Marianne Jean-Baptiste's story and it's not being told that way. And I just felt like it kind of did the whole thing a little unjust. I think that that is so true. And I'm so, this is exactly why I need to have you on the podcast more because I feel like, (laughs) I feel like I need these kinds of perspectives and I need to hear these kinds of things because that didn't even really occur to me. And that is so, so very true because Brenda Blethyn's character, I mean, the way that I, because I agree with you, she was like always at a 12. And it was literally like, especially because she was always like, like every. Like that was her delivery. It makes me the laugh because whole... it's it is truly constant. Like <laughs> yeah, like the whole the entire movie, and um, like and her like I... her daughter that she kept is like a twenty one year old, and she's still living at home, but she's kind of rebellious, and she's like, "But when are you coming home, darling?" Yeah. And it's the yeah. same <laughs> thing. It's like, oh my god. I feel like in my head, the reason why it makes sense to me is because clearly she was an alcoholic because she always had a drink in her hand. Okay, yeah. And like maybe because she was drinking all the time, like she was naturally sad. I mean, she was clearly extremely lonely because when her brother visits, she was so desperate for him to stay yeah. and it was so sad and she was like you know are you going to make me an aunt and then he's yeah. like uh i gotta go and then she's like oh and then she's like crying again and then i think that she was just like a really neurotic woman and i think that um okay so yeah. she no no go ahead yes no, please go just, ahead i just wanted to say the word that kept coming up in my head was silly yeah. She's a silly <laughs> woman. And it's such an old fashioned thing to say. Like, it's something like my grandmother would have said, or something I would have heard in like Mad Men or something. Like, oh, right. what a silly woman. Um, yeah. When somebody's like really like depressed and kind of neurotic, and you kind of dismiss it as, oh, such a silly woman. But that's what I yeah. kept saying in my head the whole time. <laughs> Um, so Brenda Blethyn actually won the BAFTA, uh, which is the British Academy Award for Best Actress in a Leading Role for this movie, as well as the Golden Globe for Best Performance by an Actress in a Drama. 
Um, I think that her daughter, Claire Rushbrook, um, Claire Rushbrook, sorry. So she's actually Deborah from Spice World. <laughs> and so the moment, because she was really rough looking in this movie, she had like this like butch thing going on, which I wasn't mad at, but I literally was, she was very unlikable in this movie. And I was like, oh my God, this daughter like needs to suck it. Like I hate her so much. Like she's so, <laughs> she's so annoying. But in the movie um, Spice World, She's very, you know, she's very gentle and she's very, oh, you know, the girls are so, and she's just very, very quiet and very, oh, you're going to lose them, Clifford, you are. Like, she's very, but in this movie, she was very rough and stuff. So it was kind of interesting kind of seeing Claire Rushbrook's range. And I really, really appreciated that. And I really liked her in this movie as like kind of the borderline abusive daughter. Um, But I do agree with you that, yeah, like it was just one thing after another for Brenda, where it was literally just one like it's like so whenever she's on her bed and she's like no don't leave sweetheart i want she's like i want to meet your boyfriend and then she like throws her onto the bed and pushes her and she like smacks her head and then two seconds later she gets a phone call from marianne jean baptiste and she's like i'm your daughter and then she's like oh yes you're right it was this hysterical performance from start to finish but but i wasn't I I I wasn't mad at it, but I do think that whenever near the end, um, which by the way, I don't know if you're a fan of Downton Abbey, but Mrs. Hughes was Wormtail's wife, and I oh, thought that was like right. she was gorgeous in this movie, and I've never I didn't even recognize her at first, and I was like, oh my, is that Mrs. Hughes? But when it is all revealed to the family, and you find out that um, Hortense is you know the daughter of, of Brenda Blethyn, and then everybody in the family knows that scene dragged on and became so repetitive over and over and over again. I actually was getting, I checked out in this movie. I'm not going to lie, like four or five times, just kind of scrolling through my phone. And I'll tell you, I didn't miss anything. Yeah. It drags on. I have to agree, but I also think like her constant, um, heightened hysteria adds to the movie dragging on you know what I mean because it's just like there's no variation here at all actually the scene where she does confess to the family that Marianne Jean-Baptiste uh Hortense is her biological daughter was the only time she had any emotional variance in her performance the entire Mm -hmm. film I think it was a very good performance, but I think it needed to be edited a bit better. And I think that the director kind of needed to reel Brenda Blethyn in. I I feel like maybe that's not so much a Brenda thing. I feel like that was probably more the director's choice. Um, yeah, or maybe both. I, I mean, I think I'm so curious to know uh, what your listeners are going to think, because I think this is not a good performance at all. Like, <laughs> I'm very on the other side of this. I am like, this is not a good performance. This was bad. I think it should have been completely reversed. I really feel like Hortense, Marianne Jean-Baptiste should have been the real protagonist of this mm-hmm. story. I think if it was told through her lens, it would have been so much more interesting and also too like there's just a part of me that is like i mean obviously i don't know what this is like but if i was seeking out my biological mother and she was just hysterically crying at a train station being like i don't know sweetie i think you have the wrong one i've never been with a black man before oh wait maybe i have like it was just 
<laughs> I think I'd be like, all right, lady, I'm good. Like, <laughs> yeah, it would be hard to keep going after that. Yeah, you're like, I'm gonna start the car. I'm gonna go. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm just gonna go now. Um, um, anyway, so I, well, I have a polarizing opinions <laughs> of this movie, but I'm curious to know what other people think. I wrote down hysterical twice in my notes, so <laughs> I think that anybody listening would probably be like, yeah, fair. Um, random fact of this movie that I, I thought was kind of very dark, very kind of interesting, very dark. So members of the Heaven Gate cult went to see this movie before their mass suicide. Whoa. Yeah, that was the last Whoa. thing they saw was this movie. Why? I don't know, but that's a fact of this movie. I can't believe that level of hysteria didn't convince them to leave. (laughs) Oh, my God. Or maybe it convinced them to, yeah, act upon it. I don't know. (laughs) Oh, my God. That is bizarre. Yeah. I honestly, I really liked the acting. I, I, I agree with you that it was very hysterical, but I do think that that was really up to the director to really reel her in. I think that she was doing what she was told. I think she did a good job. I thought that it dragged on way too much and the movie could have easily been an hour shorter and it would have been a much stronger movie. Right. Do you have anything else that you would like to add before we move on? Um, I'll, I'll just say she was good at being hysterical. Like I don't, she wasn't bad at being hysterical because then it would be a truly God awful film. She was yeah. good at being hysterical, but it was just too much. Yeah. I, I fully agree with you. Uh, <laughs> fully agree with you because you're right. There wasn't a lot of, yeah, there wasn't really a lot of range in, in, in there. The um, Guile. <laughs> what is it, sweetheart? <laughs> oh, also to all any if there are any uh British women that are listening to this, the <laughs> hairstyles of sort of that like chavy sort of woman sort it was very like Vicky Pollard like in the 90s. I feel so bad for um British young British women in the 90s because that hair Woof, just scrunchies galore with like PC bangs and like long ear tails. There was just a lot going on. There was just bad haircuts, bad haircuts. Mm -hmm. I always say I feel really bad for anybody that got married in the 80s because they have to explain those photos for the rest of their life. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, just the worst, (laughs) just the worst. My dad looked like Bob Ross. That's all I'm going to (laughs) say. It was just, I will like, I feel like for us like or at least for me like growing up and like or like going clubbing in the (laughs) early like mid 2000s i'm glad Mm. there's not a lot of photos of that era like like (laughs) i there's only so many and my friends have not put them like on on social media and i'm very grateful because that was like a very tacky era in fashion which is coming back for some inexplicable reason but it's just like i mean come on a matching tracksuit with a thong (laughs) above the waistline like that needs to be buried forever so i feel like (laughs) you know we all have been a fashion victim at some point in our lives i'm just grateful i didn't have to get married like that Oh yeah, I was I was an emo kid, so I know. Yeah, I know. Right? Yes. Oh, did I, you have yeah. the haircut? I had the haircut. There at one point, I had three different colors. If you literally just Google Kyle Brownrigg MySpace, like enjoy. <laughs> um, I never That's took amazing. it down. That's I was amazing. like, 
I was like, whatever. Um, no, okay, so let's talk. You gotta, you gotta keep that. Gotta keep it. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. Okay, so let's talk about Emily Watson in Breaking the Waves. I have so many mm. things to say about this movie because there are so many problematic things that are going on that literally I just... Let's okay. So, if anybody has never seen the movie Breaking the Waves, it's Emily Watson's first Academy Award um, performance, her second Academy Award nominated performance. Her second was for um, Hillary and Jackie. Um, the difference is that in this movie, um, Stellan Skarsgård is the person who is the paralyzed person, where in Hillary and Jackie, Emily Watson is the paralyzed person. Maybe that's that's why she was cast in that movie. I'm not sure. Mm. But anyway, so in Breaking the Waves, she lives in a small town in Scotland where all of the men work on an oil rig. And she is, I don't even know really how to describe it, but she has mental health issues. But I think that she has like a learning disability or something, but they, she keeps referring to herself as stupid. So let's just go with, let's just go with learning disability. So she was uh, a very um, neurotic, mentally ill woman with like a learning disability who gets married to Stellan Skarsgård, but he can only like spend a certain amount of time with her before he has to go back to the oil rig that's on the ocean. And while they're together, it's really intense and she loves him very dearly. But then, like, whenever he's gone, she's very depressed and um, very manic. And then when she's uh, whenever uh, Stellan Skarsgård is at the oil rig, there's an accident that happens. I'm very unclear exactly what it was because it looked like he got hit on the head. But then he becomes like fully paralyzed, except he can still like move his <laughs> neck and his head around. And then he basically is like, I want you to start fucking all these men and strangers so that you can tell me about it. And then she is like, well, yeah. And then she just starts like banging random people. And then she starts jerking off people on the, the bus. And um, I have to say, this is a very brave performance for Emily Watson because this was her theatrical film debut. This role was actually originally offered to Helena Bottom Carter, oh, but wow. she turned it down because of the sexual content. And she didn't feel comfortable with her body at that time enough to to do to do that this movie was actually number two on roger ebert's list of best films of the 1990s which is that's like high praise mm -hmm. and this movie oh is one of those movies where it goes from bad to worse emily watson this was a very brave performance for her i think that she did such justice to a very kind of like not so great role and i think that she added a lot of depth to something where um it just sort of seemed like um, there was, okay, before we get into it, I'm just going to say there was one thing that I read that I, I thought kind of really um, sort of uh, sum summarizes it very nicely. So I read this online. It was a review that someone said, it, this movie is celebrating such a simple, all-giving, all-loving female saint, and it promotes the idea that women should allow themselves to be abused in the name of love. Um, it's female subjugation veiled as virtue. And I actually completely agree with it because in the end she dies. It's just, it goes, it just goes from bad to worse. Okay. Uh, Catherine, what did you think about this movie? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so much was said right now. Yeah. Um, but you can't describe this movie any other way. I, I will say this is a incredibly, brave performance in what is otherwise a very problematic premise like i mm -hmm. 
I thought her performance was just, I thought she was absolutely phenomenal in this movie. Mm -hmm. Like she eats this movie up. This movie is nothing without her. Just absolutely nothing. Like I, she is phenomenal. I have a lot of strong opinions about the movie, but I only have Mm -hmm. good things to say about her. Like, I agree. Yeah. Like I think, you know, okay. One thing I, I okay let's talk about the mental illness factor for a second because okay on one hand one thing I liked about the movie is that her mental illness is treated with great empathy from Mm. her sister and to a degree her mother like people genuinely want to help her but they don't know how that part Mm -hmm. felt real to me the part that didn't feel real to me is that this quote-unquote mental illness is obscure it's vague it Mm -hmm. it borders on just simply delusional it feels like um (laughs) frankly it feels like lazy writing it Mm -hmm. feels just like a crutch you know or a way to get around getting this character to do things the filmmaker wants this character to do where in turn like it like in marvin's room leonardo dicaprio like we talk about his mental illness feeling like oh like we we've seen this guy before right we know who this guy is we understand who this is it's like it's it's mental illness but it's kind of it's more focused and it's more centered where with her it just feels uh generically vague in a way that you could get away (laughs) with in the 90s uh that you couldn't necessarily get away with now i don't think I love that you said that because Lars von Trier, who uh, was the writer and the director for this movie, he basically said that years later after this movie came out, he when he was interviewed about this film, he said that he was determined to write a story so far-fetched and so full of cliches that no one would take it seriously. He said, all you have to do, <laughs> yeah, he said, he said, quote, he said, quote, all you have to do is come up with something really stupid and it will become a great success. So well, I think that's the most pretentious bullshit I've ever heard. I completely that agree. Is, it's like, oh, that is up. insufferable. <laughs> I know. It's like, ew. But like, I, because oh. <laughs> it's, but it is, it is very true where you're right, where it's just sort of like this general smear of crazy, where it's like, what do you mean she's mentally ill? It's like, you know, she's just loony. Like, how? Oh, you know, just all of it. You're like, what? Yeah, like, just it was generically a... loony. That is the way yeah. to put it. I, I will say, I don't think her, like, To me, if this story was, you know, a woman whose identity and self-worth and self-value and purpose in this world revolved around whoever she marries, like revolves around being a wife and an eventual mother, which is what Mm -hmm. women are taught, frankly, right? Mm -hmm. Until we unlearn those things. But, you know, status quo, patriarchy, that's what we're taught. And she's from a very small very religious sheltered town so it's Mm -hmm. believable that those are her values i don't think she needs mental illness to feel that way as a character or as a person you know i mean like i think like there's moments of hysteria and there's actions that she takes that you know an average woman wouldn't take but I, mm-hmm. I don't think she actually needs mental illness to go along with this story to to love him as deeply as she does, to miss him as deeply as she does, to want to sacrifice 
her body for him. I feel like, a, mm. a frankly, a better writer could have done that and achieved that without this vague mental illness narrative. I think one of my favorite things is whenever she would be praying and it was like a really weird ventriloquist act with God. (laughs) And she'd be like, are you there, God? And then he'd be like, he'd be like, I am. And she'd be like, where did you go? And then he'd be like, I have other people to talk to. And she'd be like, oh, like it was just so it was like, what is but I I, it made her like it was such like a cute little thing that she would do where she would have these moments of clarity of of her and she was very self-aware whenever she would have these scenes where she was praying and i thought that was kind of very interesting because it seems like a lot of the times she was very out of touch with reality and the situation or manic let's say um and when she would pray, it sort of seems like she fully understood her situation and and what she should and shouldn't do and what the consequences of what her actions might be. Um, I think mm-hmm. that, you know, there are scenes where she's fully... Do you, do you remember when she gets fully naked for, like, that doctor, like, on his bed? Yeah. And then he, like, tells her to put her clothes on and then she's just, like, crying and then she has to go home because she's so embarrassed? Girl, if I had a dime. No, I'm joking. <laughs> but just literally, like... you're like most relatable scene yes (laughs) but like you know i i i laughed so hard when she was jerking off the old man on the bus and then she kind of stops and then he like grabs her arm to be like no 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 i keep going um and she does kind of go from you know insane uh to like even more like out of control reckless to the point where she is putting herself in physical danger I think it's kind of unclear what happened, but obviously there was some sort of a violent assault, a rape, an attack. I'm not sure, but she dies as a result of it. So perhaps there was head trauma. I'm not sure. But then in the end, Stellan Skarsgård, her husband, makes a miraculous full recovery and just he's good and moves on and then she dies and he's like anyway that was fun what's next like it was a really shitty back on the oil rig like chilling with his boys (laughs) that was it was deeply unsatisfying it it didn't Mm -hmm. make sense there's no there's no medical logic in this movie where there needs to be uh, <laughs> which is, yeah. is, I don't know, a very 90s thing, you know? Like, let's get two actors to play the same character in this sitcom because we don't get along with this person anymore. Like, it's very, I yeah. don't know. Like, there's just certain things, I guess, you could get away with then that now people would really um, shake a finger at and be like, uh-uh, no, no. But, yeah. uh, oh, God. I Okay, I love when she talks to herself. Uh, (laughs) Her talking to herself was one of the better moments in this movie. Uh, I I absolutely love that. It actually made her feel more real, even though Mm -hmm. I feel like they did that in an attempt to make her look manic. Um, mm-hmm. I'm like, but we all like we all well, not all of us, but a lot of us have like an inner dialogue when we're mm-hmm. trying to, you know, make decisions for ourselves or, you know, we're coping through some serious traumas like yeah that actually made her feel more real to me so it, it kind of did the opposite i felt than what the movie intended also this movie okay here's what, something i want to say about this movie take an hour out of this movie this movie oh, is so long yeah. <laughs> you could easily do this entire story with an hour cut out of yeah. the movie and it's the same easily 
movie it, it is 100%. like oh my god and they do this like little thing like chapter one chapter two why is it seven chapters i know you are one <laughs> film seven <Yeah>. chapters <laughs> it's a weird number yeah i agree with you and then it would have this like weird cool like 90s alt rock music in the transition between the chapters that didn't fit the rest of the movie like at all <laughs> i was like what era is this like I, I i found myself asking myself like what year does this take place in half the yeah. time because i i felt like this small town other world versus like the hip <laughs> 90s rock music just didn't make sense at all yeah, it was like somebody would be paralyzed and they were like, you will never be able to walk again. And they'd be like, we didn't stop the fire. Yeah. She'd be like, what the <laughs> fuck? Like, just these really clunky oh, transitions. Yeah, yeah. Like, and it now was... here's the cranberries. Like, Yeah, was... exactly. Like... <laughs> um, I fully agree. The movie really dragged on way too long. But I do have to say that of, of everything in this movie, I think that Emily Watson... She kind of brought like almost like a childlike innocence to her performance yes. that really lended to the character very well. And overall, I fully see why she was nominated for this movie. And I think that she did a really, really good job in what is kind of a meh movie, in my opinion. Completely agree. Very well-deserved nomination. A very brave performance. Um, with Like without her, it would just, it would be so horrible. Like I, like there's so... Like, I can't even think off the top of my head. I'm sure there are other actresses that could pull it off, but I don't know. There was just something about her that it's like, it's it feels impossible to picture someone else. <laughs> I completely agree. Okay, do you have anything else that you would like to add before we move on? Um, Full frontal nudity. Uh, shout out, uh, what's his name? Stellan Skarsgård? Yes. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, we saw some Stellan Skarsgård dick for sure. <laughs> yeah, like I was like, okay, like I he's old now, so I've never pictured him as like an attractive man. Um, he's an attractive man in this movie. Oh sure, yeah, they reunited together in the in the, the limited series Chernobyl, which came out recently. So oh wow. <laughs> I, yeah, I never watched still, that. Oh, he's very good at kind of playing that. Like, because wasn't Stellan Skarsgård? Um, do you remember that movie called like The Glass House mm -hmm. or or whatever? And it was like, what's her face from Joan of Arc, and she was also in Never Been Kissed. She's like the tall. She almost looks like Helen Hunt, but she's like not Helen Hunt's daughter. <laughs> uh, that's think, that's so many blonde women, but cool. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you're like you just described a white woman. I'm like, okay. Um, <laughs> and I think he was like the creepy like uh, dad in that movie. I can't remember if it's been a while. Um, okay, so let's talk about. Oh my god, I'm so excited to talk about this movie. Let us talk about Kristen Scott Thomas in the movie The English Patient. Yeah. So, oh my god, this movie won Best Picture, and my first initial reaction is really here's the thing i understand that it has that classic movie structure where like it's extremely well written every character has like its justice and like you know um it's like sort of that like you know big epic story it's like sort of like lawrence of arabia kind of like vibes and like very very well acted and proper british acting very proper and all those things but Oh my God. First of all, Kristen Scott Thomas being nominated for this movie. I'm going to, I'm just putting it right out there before we even begin. I was a little surprised that she was nominated because frankly, okay. 
The English Patient is a movie where Voldemort, Ray Fiennes, which in, if you listen to the last episode, I kept calling him Ralph Fiennes, and I got so many messages from people being like, um, it's Ray Fiennes, so everybody yeah. can suck a giant dick. I don't give a shit, but just whatever, I'll call him, fine, I'll say Ray Fiennes. So Ray Fiennes um, is basically like, this is during the first, is it during the first World War? Because they said it was early 1930s. I thought it was There's the Second World War, but it's it takes place originally pre-war, and then it go it moves into the war. Oh, okay. So clearly, like, okay. When I was watching this movie, my apartment was being sprayed for cockroaches, so I had to watch this movie <laughs> in an empty unit covered in dust and like scaffolding and ladders and i had like a lawn chair and i was watching this balancing on my lap on my laptop while writing notes so like i wasn't paying that close of attention but i will say that uh, uh all that to say that the english patient is a story about okay how do we how would you describe you know what i'm just gonna read i'm gonna read the imdb description because there's so many things in this movie that are happening that it's hard to give it like a Okay, here we go. The English patient. So, okay. Uh, at Oh, it is it is during the Second World War. So, yeah. at, the clo- at the close of World War II, a young nurse tends to a badly burned plane crash victim, which is ultimately how he becomes Voldemort. His past <laughs> is shown in flashbacks, revealing an involvement in a fateful love affair that he has with Scri- Kristen Scott Thomas, who is married to Colin Firth. And um, the movie opens with a plane crash and then um ray finds is yeah permanently disfigured in it and he's all like goopy and gross and then you know juliette binoche is a nurse and she kind of like takes care of him in his last few days before he ultimately dies i think she assists i think she like euthanizes him in the end and then um you know juliette binoche has her own story with um uh, oh, what's his face there from, uh, I'm going to have to look this up because I have that from IMDb Lost, right in front of me. Naveen. From Lost, yes, yes. Uh, it's, yeah. it's His name is uh, Naveen Andrews. There we go. Kip. And uh, Daniel Day-Lewis was actually originally offered the role that Ray Fiennes plays, but he turned it down. Um, and Good. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Bruce Willis was originally offered the role that Willem Dafoe played, the thief that was missing his thumbs. Oh, okay. The Germans who shot down the plane at the very beginning were actually tourists because they couldn't afford any more extras. <laughs> And um, Kristen Scott Thomas actually actively lobbied um, director Anthony Minghella for the part of Catherine Clifton, even after their first meeting, which was apparently disastrous. And she would write him letters and sign it as um, Catherine because she was determined to get this role. Kristen Scott. Yeah. So Kristen Scott Thomas in this movie is like the wife of Colin Firth. And then Ray Fiennes is like, I'm going to get you. And then he basically tries to woo her over you know um ray finds and she gets caught in a sandstorm together and then they spend a very intimate evening together in the car while the sand passes and then they have to keep their love affair a secret and all of this is being told while the english patient ray finds is being nursed back to life by juliet Manouche. it is so boring i really think that this is one of the most overrated best picture winners if anybody disagrees for me like literally i don't give a shit like come for me online i don't care i I've already had the Renaissance, Renee Zellweger fan club come for me. Like, I don't know. I don't know if the English patient fan club is a thing. She didn't complete you? She did not complete me. Although she did in Judy, but not in Cold Mountain. But the English patient, oh my God, 
this is the most one of the most boring movies I think I've ever seen. Great acting, great directing, great cinematography, all of these things. But just as a story, I did not connect to it. I didn't care about any of the characters. I found it to be super boring. What did you think about this movie, Catherine? Um, I completely agree. I mean, talk about taking an hour off a of film. Um, yeah. <laughs> that is the whole theme of these the, movies. Like, so many of these. Like, I think, like, I, I guess we just, like, went through a phase with films. Like, the longer you could tell a drama, the more people held it in, like, prestige. But it's mm-hmm. too long. Like, it's just, it's too mm. long. It's too boring. I, I will say, I do think the best part of this film is actually the cinematography. That is the best part of this whole movie, is the cinematography. Mm-hmm. It is a pretty mm-hmm. film. Um, it's ve- it, A lot of it takes place in the desert. Um, mm-hmm. And then you also have uh, Ray Fiennes recovering um, in... Italy, but it's kind of like it's a smaller town. It's got some more like bluish, warmish colors. And then the flashbacks, they're in Morocco and it's very like mm-hmm. yellow and bright. So those kinds of things were, were effective. Um, I'm pretty sure, correct me if I'm wrong, this is like a Miramax film. It is. So yes. I think this is just a case of um heavy yeah. campaigning by yeah. Weinstein and yeah. that's how it got as far as it did but it's also one of those movies where like it gets greenlit based on that like they know from the very beginning okay this is this is how we're going to market this film this is going to be our Oscar movie for right. this year for this season um it has it just you can feel the politics you know what I mean like you mm. can feel the Hollywood yes. politics around this movie like it just like the performances are good like the acting yes. is good but i can't say it blew me away in any capacity Agreed. like it's just yeah. it's all just very solid i completely agree with you an hour and a half into the movie kristen scott thomas was maybe in the movie for like five ten minutes and um you know her performance in my opinion for the most part was a little one note um i would say if anything it was really more of like a supporting role than a lead i feel like juliette binoche had more screen time and more of a lead role than kristen scott thomas i i feel like where kristen scott thomas was really um where she was really demonstrating her ranges when she was really trying to um she was showing remorse for having an affair with ray fines and she was trying to resist him i think that that's really where maybe her Oscar moment was coming in or maybe her um, like the real acting was coming in on Mm -hmm. her part. But overall, I really got to say, I don't really have much to say to her performance specifically in this movie. I think that she did justice to the role. I believed her in this role. Was it an Oscar nominated? Is it, is it, is it an Oscar worthy um, role? No, I don't think so. I frankly was actually a little surprised that she was nominated. Um, again, I had a hard time connecting with these characters, so maybe I'm a little biased on that um, sense. But um, there were just some things that I just, I, I just was very bored watching her, and also. Whenever they're in that plane, that that inexplicable that inexplicable plane crash that Colin Firth oh, causes. Oh yeah, and it's then, so bizarre. He just he's just like kamikaze, and then he dies, and I mean, then she like north by northwest, like out of nowhere, <laughs> right for sure. And then she's also in this plane, yet sustains no visible injuries. She seems totally fine, like easy breezy, beautiful. But then she, <laughs> you know, like she's good. But then she like 
dies in the cave. I don't even think it was because of the injury. I think it's because Ray finds just like abandoned her in a dark cave in a desert for like three or four days. Um, you know, I really, if I'm being completely honest with you, I don't really have much to say about her performance other than there were some moments she did justice to the role because, you know, I believed her in it. But frankly, I didn't really think that she was much of a standout. And I do think that because this is Miramax and you're right, you can see the politics. I think that that was very likely why she got nominated. I mean, I'm not a movie expert, but that's just my opinion. No, I absolutely think that's also why she got nominated. I I think you you really you really hit it when you said like you, there's just no this film does not give you as an audience member a reason to emotionally connect with the characters. Yeah. It doesn't it, it doesn't bring you in on an emotional level so you're not like rooting for anyone necessarily. You're just kind of watching it unfold. And that's where I think this movie falls flat. Also, do you remember whenever um, Kip was upset because that commanding officer like died by climbing on top of that statue and there was some sort of a bomb or something and then he died and you didn't really know who he was because I know that he worked with Kip closely, but like he wasn't really in the movie very much. And then when he died, there was so much attention given to Kip of how remorseful he was and how sad he was. And you're like, I barely even know who kip is why do i give a shit about I mean, his co-worker kip, and again, then kip is one of the more interesting characters in the whole film like he uh is one of those people diffuses bombs. He diffuses yeah. bombs <laughs> in in mines or not mines but you know what i mean and it's like war times he's out there diffusing bombs he's in love with this nurse uh who's played by juliette binoche and uh she won best supporting actress and you know, they are, you know, have this budding love affair. And I'm like, I, I was rooting for those two as a couple, if anything. Yeah, no, I know. I completely agree with you. They were actually kind of more one of the more interesting parts of the movie. But you're um, right. It's like suddenly we're like three hours and in, into this movie and know, suddenly just... it wants us to care about Kip. And you're like, what? Uh, yeah, I, I know it's too much. I also I want to say, I think. Marvin's room might be a Miramax film also. Yes, it was. Yeah, yeah, but I don't. But the thing with Marvin's room is that like, I don't know. I mean, it's a star studded film. I feel like maybe you just have to do less work from like a campaigning perspective. Also, it's just like, I don't know. It's genuinely good. So you yeah. don't have to like force it on a people as much. Like I didn't feel the campaigning watching Marvin's room the way I felt it with the English patient. That is so true. I completely, completely agree with you. Side note, Ray Fiennes is fine in this movie. Let me tell you. <laughs> I'll even take the goopy uh, no, Ray Fiennes. That's fine. It. I will go. <laughs> this like skin grafting and shit. Oh my God. Yeah, I was reading online that apparently that was extremely was not, intentional. It was not good. Well, he apparently like insisted on doing head to toe, even if it was just like his head needed to be required for the scene, like <laughs> the body makeup. He was like, no, you need to do like the whole. But like apparently the way that they did the 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 skin graph, it was intentional because the themes of the movie was like cartography and making maps and crap like that. And so they wanted the skin to look like maps because it was like that was a theme yeah so they like did that intentionally (laughs) yeah i like when everything has a purpose and everything is intentional but i don't understand 
that from like a symbolic i don't understand that as a symbolic gesture like yes he was an explorer and uh he kind of got caught up in world war ii stuff while exploring other things but like i don't know like it i feel like that should have a deeper meaning to it and it doesn't yeah hate yeah. it yeah um okay anyway if anybody if you've never seen also, the English I, didn't, patient, I didn't feel don't. like it looked like a map it looked like a spider web to me yeah it was there i don't know i mean like frankly i was kind of in and out with this movie anybody yeah anybody listening to this if you haven't seen the english patient don't um it's no, not uh not not a movie i would ever I mean, watch unless again. you just like want to like drink and like bitch about it with your friends like if you deliberately want to watch a bad movie to like yell <laughs> at it and be annoyed by it then yes yeah well everybody always says that shakespeare in love is the most overrated um p- best picture winner i 100 percent disagree with that i would actually say in my opinion the english patient is the most overrated best picture winner I well, I, um, you know what it is. It's like I think Shakespeare in Love is a better movie than The English Patient, but it's because uh, Shakespeare in Love won against what was otherwise Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, like yeah. a brilliant movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, do you have anything else that you would like to add about Kristen uh, Scott Thomas's performance before we move on? Oh, oh, just one, one quick thing. Not necessarily about her performance, but just about the politics. I felt like okay. they might have swapped it deliberately, so they had her nominated as lead and Juliet Binoche nominated as supporting actress strategically, so Juliet could win. They do that a lot recently, especially, yeah. I mean, Viola Davis winning for Fences for a supporting role. It was like, get the fuck out yeah, of here. Yeah. She was the whole movie. Yeah, like, I felt like that was a strategic move. They've been, yeah, they've been doing that a lot. I mean, um, it was uh, whenever they had uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, it was like every mm-hmm. lead in that movie was nominated for um, a supporting role. And you're literally like, well, then who the fuck was the lead? Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, this movie just didn't have a lead. Yeah, I agree. Um, okay, so let's talk about our winner this year, or Frances McDormand in Fargo. So this movie is directed by Joel Cohen, who uh, also, uh, this was uncredited, but Ethan Cohen, his brother, was also a director in this movie. But I, let's just, let's just say Joel Cohen. Yeah, or just the uh, Cohen Joel Cohen brothers. And, they always just do. the Cohen they brothers. They do everything together. Yeah. Um, Joel Cohen and Frances McDormand are married and have a kid. I did not know that. Oh, really? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. That. And Frances McDormand in this movie is playing the iconic Marge Gunderson. If you've never seen the movie Fargo, uh, you're living under a rock. So Fargo is like, as Tom Hanks considers it, to be like literally the perfect movie. It's like you have, um, you know, William H. Macy, who is just this small man who like wants to make it his own money and have his own independence because he has like a rich father-in-law and like who doesn't really like him very much. So he fakes a kidnapping of his wife, uh, his father-in-law's daughter and holds a ransom, but everything goes wrong. There are people that are, there are cops that are killed. There are random uh, bystanders that are witnesses to the crime that are killed. Uh, There are just, there are parking attendants that are killed. It's just, everything goes wrong. And Frances McDormand is the cop that's on the case. She is this tenacious woman from Minnesota who is um just so incredible she's like this she almost seems like 
borderline caricature, but she grounds the performance by making it very real. She's a pregnant cop, which I loved that little angle to it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even necessary, but like I thought that was really, really great. She actually um, did research with a female cop that was pregnant that was in the area um, or like in the Minnesota area or whatever uh, to actually get research um, for this role. Um one funny thing that I do want to say, though, is that Frances McDormand actually left the pregnancy suit in her trailer one day and it f- and the, it froze like the silicone breasts froze. Oh my and God. then <laughs> it actually exploded the next day on set. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Which I thought that was really, really funny. Um, at the time, Frances McDormand was actually looking to play um, a, uh, a, a sex worker or a killer and she was very hesitant to play um, a pregnant cop and then she later said that it was the best gift that she had ever uh, been given um, the actors for this movie all had to use a book called how to talk minnesotan to get into character mm-hmm. um this uh i've seen this movie so many times at the very, very beginning, it says that this is based on a true story. It's actually not. Um, it's actually connecting two true stories that are real. And then they kind of fabricate the story to make it into one story, which oh, is. I did not know yeah. that. That's deeply yeah. misleading. I don't like that at all. Yeah. And then um, basically the directors. So the Coen brothers actually told the actors three weeks into shooting that this was not a true story. So. I feel like maybe that was sort of like a meta thing. I don't know where it's like they're trying to just play with the idea of what it means to be like a true story and to play on how people, the audience experiences film. If they think that it's real, I don't know, but that's what it was. Mm. All I have to say about this performance and this movie, because this is just chef's kiss, chef's kiss for me is I wrote down quotes. I didn't write down anything about her performance (laughs) because I just love it. Like I, everything, everything about, I am genuinely shocked that the English patient won best picture over Fargo. Like Fargo is just, I've seen this movie a million times. I never get sick of it. Love, love, love this movie. Um, it just, it, oh yeah, you betcha. Yeah. Like just like so many quotable lines from this, like, well, yeah, thanks a bunch. Like just, it's so, and they take it so seriously. Like it's not a joke. Like it's like, there are people that live their lives like this and they give it justice, you know? And if you've ever been to like East, Canada I mean you wrote for 22 mm-hmm. minutes you know there are people that like talk like Minnesotans they have their own obviously flavor but there are people that are like this and they 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 treated it with respect and I'm really happy about that what did you what did you think about this movie okay so this movie is a classic it, it is mm-hmm. and for good reason I think this film far and beyond compared to all the other films we've talked about is the most modern And Mm -hmm. I remember at the time it being considered like highly unconventional, but I feel like over time it's become conventional because it was so influential, I guess, like over time, like I went to film school and it was like, you know, almost 10 years later, but everybody like talked about like this movie and how like how the Coen brothers like broke rules with this movie and stuff like that. And, and it's a, and it's a good amount of time. It's a tight movie. It's, it's the right length. It is the right length. They did not mess around with that at all. And it's just, I mean, it became a drama for a, a reason because you take a story like this and it becomes a Netflix show now. But at the mm-hmm. time it's just, it was, it was progressive, but now it, it feels current. 
Steve Buscemi is also brilliant in this movie. I think it's probably the best Steve Buscemi ever. (laughs) I think so too, actually. I think it's his best performance. Like, yeah, he's absolutely brilliant in this. One thing I will say about um, Frances McDormand or just this film in general is she comes into this movie at the beginning of act two. And that is still unconventional. That is still rare for your lead character to enter the film at the beginning of act two. It's like such a heat check. You know what I mean? Like it's such a boss (laughs) move to do that and to just own it like that. Like, oh, it's so satisfying to watch her enter this film just to enter it is so satisfying and one of the many things i love about her performance and also this is credit to the way her character is written i think in the hands of any other male uh director or writer of the moment you take a pregnant cop um investigating a dangerous homicide situation she becomes more hysterical you know Mm -hmm. she's throwing up she's hungry she's tired she's all of these different things but Frances mcdormand's character margie she's just even keeled the entire time she's composed she's Mm -hmm. smarter than everybody um she has a husband that supports her but they don't make a big deal out of the fact that her husband supports her he just does which is so refreshing like it's just i think i don't think people voted for her because of it being like feminist i think they just voted for her because it's so unique but i love it Mm -hmm. because it's both of those things I think that is the best way of putting it. That is so, so true because, you know, she is a very super serious and a super good cop, but she does it in this sort of sweet Minnesota way, Mm. which is the character, of course. And she does it in such a specific way that it's like, you think that she's going to be taking taken advantage of because of her kindness, but then she'll like phrase a situation where she'll sort of just be like, you know, like, well, I know that, you know, you're not into like murder or anything like that. So it would be a real shame if you were to get caught up into something like this. And then she has this big grin on her face because yeah. she's just trying to be polite. <laughs> and then the guy's like, fuck. Like, I just love whenever she just kind of has like a very polite fuck you moment. You're going to do what I say because I'm in charge. Don't take my kindness as weakness kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I love the way that she phrases it. I love... um uh well i just again i wrote down so many quotes like i just love when she's like is there a phone down here you think like just the way that she says sort of things like oh yeah thanks a bunch and whenever um whenever i think about this movie i always think about whenever she goes for lunch with that old friend from high school oh god yeah i always think about that scene and they're talking about like her like, oh, yeah, I'm married now and we ha- we're pregnant. We're having a kid. But you got married to Lisa. What's her face? And then, you know, <laughs> he's like, do you mind if I come and sit like right next to you? And she's like, no, I think I'd prefer if you were to sit over there. And she just diffuses the yes. situation. And she's very, you know, authoritative in that moment. And it's like, I just love seeing her like Minnesota sweetness and then being like, don't fuck with me. Like, I love yeah. the way that she did it, but she still maintains the character because it's still that sweet Minnesota woman, but she does it in a very authoritative way that you're literally like, you go, Frances McDormand. Like, I just yeah. oh, that scene love, love, love it. is incredible. Yeah. Isn't it? It's just like, and that actor is only in the movie for that one scene. And he's so yeah. good. Like he's- and you find out that he made up the whole thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and she's just like, oh, and then that's it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I honestly that. Yeah, I think um, the best like 
amazing moment is whenever she um uh like whenever she sees like that that guy Serge from Chocolat. I don't know what his name is. I can't remember. He has 18 lines in the movie, the one that never talks. And he <laughs> um is putting Steve Buscemi through a friggin' uh meat a, a tree grinder. I don't know what the fuck. I'm I'm not an outdoorsy yeah, kind of girl. Yeah, it's it's a wood chipper. A wood chipper. A wood chipper. <laughs> I knew that. A tree uh and then yeah, sure, you know that thing that grinds the trees. And then he he runs for it on the on the ice, and then she has to shoot at him. But she's like, she's kind of like, oh my god, what the fuck is happening? Because obviously she's not used to seeing something so fucked up like that. But she's keeping her cool. And then she shoots him. She puts him in the car. And I love that monologue that she has, where she's just talking about like, well, why did you do it for money? For a little bit of money? She's like, well, you know, I just don't understand it. And yeah. just the way that she says it, it's like, oh, like it's. Anyway, just chef's kiss. Like, I so, love her so in this movie. Good because the whole movie, you know, the, the amount of money that's involved is it, it's weird because it's like you're talking like like 80,000 bucks. Like it's it, it's mm -hmm. a good amount of money, but it, it's not like you're going to retire or, or like, you know, your whole life is going to change money. And so you got you know this the whole time, but you're just you're going along with it. And then at the end, when she puts it all in perspective, like, yeah, that was not enough money. Not that there is enough money to murder people, but but you know what I mean? Like, like that was really not enough money yeah. <laughs> to murder that, <laughs> to many, murder people. that yeah. many people. Yeah. yeah. The only thing the only thing about this movie where I was like, oh, my God, really was remember whenever those two witnesses accidentally saw the cop that was killed uh... and then like serge goes after him or whatever the fuck his name is i just i know his name is serge from chocolate where he's like Josephine. Oh, yeah. anyway and he's like going after them and then they they veer off the road and flip the car over and you're like oh my god <laughs> like fuck you guys are like you could have gotten away that part that part pissed me off yeah i um, guess they veered off the road because they knew he was good he's going after them yeah they were nervous they were scared. they were nervous or scared and yeah, it made sense to me. It made sense to me. I bought it. I bought it. Oh, I bought it. I just hated it. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, no, God. it was so heartbreaking. You're just like, oh, my God, no. I know. Um, okay, so do you have anything else that you would like to add about Frances McDormand's performance before we announce who we think the Oscar should have gone to? Uh, no, just she's brilliant. Brilliant. Okay, so you are my guest, so I will give you the honor of going first. So please let me know who you think should have won. Okay, my best actress is... Frances McDormand. I do believe she is the rightful winner of this award. Um, I was torn with Emily Watson because I think her performance was so brave and, you know, there's an argument to be had that that was like the most like physical and emotional acting, but I think mm -hmm. there's too many other problems with the film and the plot as a whole that it's hard mm -hmm. for me to, to award it. So I, I, I'm still giving it to Francis. I think this is an iconic character and in, and an iconic performance. I completely agree with you. Okay, so I will go ahead and say who I think should have won. So I think the Oscar should have gone to... Mm -hmm. 
Francis McDormand for Fargo. I completely agree with everything that you said. I think that for me, Brenda Blethyn and Emily Watson were actually tied for a second because I know it was a historical, uh, historical, hysterical <laughs> performance. It was a lot. She was always at a 12, which was really, really annoying. But I actually really liked her in this movie. I really feel like that was a director's choice rather than like an acting thing um, because he really could have reeled her in. And I really do think that um, Emily Watson, that was a very brave performance. And I think that she had this sort of childlike innocence to her and she was very mentally unstable and she played it in a very innocent sort of um, sad way because you really did have sympathy for her character. But of course, um, it, it's uh, what 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 was it? It's quote, a, a female subjugation uh veiled as virtue but i picked francis mcdormand as the winner just because i feel like of all of them she was like just like the character of all of these nominees but she it she doesn't make a caricature Mm. because i feel like it easily could have been because it is like i know this is probably rude to say but like that accent is like it's kind of funny and a lot of people like do that sort of accent whenever they're trying to be silly and things like that and i understand like not to be disrespectful to people of minnesota maybe a little bit but anyway um i do find that francis mcdormand like grounded this performance and it's like just flaw like just chef's kiss and she maintains her character the whole way through even after she just shot somebody and saw like a bunch of murders and stuff she still has this positive attitude and she's so polite and nice and she's so good at her job and she's so tenacious and but she does it like in like the marge gunderson way like that no one else can do it like and it's just um i really loved her in this movie i will watch this movie again and again and again and i'm so happy that she won this oscar so that's who that's that's who I picked. So, um, Catherine Eicher, thank you so much for being a guest on my podcast. Um, again, anybody listening, we you can check out Catherine. Um, she has two podcasts. It's Buckets and Tea, the NBA show podcast, as well as the Pickup, the WNBA podcast with Freddie Rivas. Um, uh, Catherine, where can people find you on social media? Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at it's me underscore Catherine, spelled C-A-T-H-R-Y-N. Excellent. Thank you so much for being a guest and we'll definitely have you back again. Thank you so much for having me.